Good morning, and welcome to the Wisdom Seekers class at the Father's Church in Dallas, Texas. I am Tammy Stewart, and my teaching for this Sunday is entitled Judas Iscariot, Call to His Own Place. A few weeks back, Pastor Fabian taught on Judas and his betrayal to Jesus. He used the four Gospels uh, comparing and contrasting events of the Last Supper in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. He truly uh, set the foundation for what I wanted to share today about Judas as a traitor. Being a teacher, I've always enjoyed uh, reading biographies and would mentally rehearse my own character studies on them. I was interested in what motivated people to move out of their comfort zone and take risks, sometimes good and sometimes not so good. Judas was always a puzzle to me in many ways. Today, I want to go slowly through the Bible passages with you about what we can spiritually uh, discern about his behavior and his training. Judas was a common first century name. In fact, there are eight referenced in the New Testament. Any time Judas Iscariot is mentioned in the scriptures, his name appears last in the list with the infamous description which brands him forever with the phrase which also betrayed him. Judas is compared with uh, Jeroboam in the Old Testament, who is always mentioned in uh, much disgust as the one who made Israel sin. Jeroboam was Israel's first king, and he incurred divine wrath <coughs> by building shrines to Baal in order to rival the Jerusalem temple. In the Old Testament, all the kings of Israel who did evil in the sight of God attribute the beginning of Israel's downfall to King Jeroboam. He is mentioned numerous times in the kingly lineage as the one who made Israel <coughs> sin. His evil acts were perpetuated from generation to generation. It is really disheartening uh, when you read through that whole book of Second Kings because uh, Israel continually was falling deeper and deeper into great idolatry and wickedness. And it was all because of the decisions of King Jeroboam. The scriptures do not reveal much about Judas's family. 
and uh, the environment in which he grew up, his surname was Iscariot, meaning the man of Caruth. Most scholars understand it to refer to the place of origin in southern Judea. Most of them believe that Judas was the only apostle from Judea, and the rest were from Galilee. Uh, really, this fact alone could have caused Judas uh, to feel somewhat superior as Judeans considered Galileans to be country bumpkins. All we know of his family is that his father's name was Simon. Researchers also think he may have been a zealot, a characteristic held by one other disciple, Simon the Zealot. How do we know that Judas was probably a zealot? By his surname, Iscariot. They believe that this is a form of the title Sicarii, meaning dagger men. It is a group of ultra zealots who carried a knife with them at all times in order to be prepared to assassinate traitors. I find that interesting. Zealots believed that if they turned Israel back to God and incited war against the Romans, the Messiah would arise to lead them and establish his kingdom. This understanding by the zealots resulted from misinterpreting many prophecies concerning Christ's coming. This first section I have entitled Traitor. And traitor in Greek is paradidomai. It's a verb to surrender, to yield up, betray, deliver up, and to give over. So the term to betray literally means to give over. And the New Testament uses it several ways, including to deliver over treacherously or dangerously by way of betrayal. Let's look at Luke 6, 16. And Judas, the brother of James, and Judas Iscariot, which also was the traitor, paradidomite. So here in Luke is the phrase, which also was the traitor meaning his treason to Jesus or to betray Jesus's trust and confidence and purposely act to aid the enemy really denotes someone who is a double crosser. Let's look at Matthew 17, 22. And while they abode in Jerusalem, Jesus said unto them, the son of man, shall be betrayed, paradidomai, into the hands of men. Now note 
that men to whom Jesus was allied to would become his persecutors and murderers. Matthew 26, 16. And from that time, he, Judas, sought opportunity to betray or paradidomi him. You know, it's a very wicked thing to seek opportunity to sin and to devise mischief. You know, Judas still had, at this point in time, an opportunity to repent. All right, John chapter 6, verse 64. But there are some of you that believe not. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were that believed not and who should betray or paradidomi him. Notice in the middle part of the verse, uh, 64, that Jesus knew from the beginning who would betray him. We should not doubt the sincerity of the Lord's call. Jesus, at the beginning, viewed Judas as a potential follower and disciple. The Lord's foreknowledge of Judas does not imply he must become a traitor. All right. The New Testament also uses the term traitor of evil people in the end times. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 4 and 5. Traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. From such, turn away. So when people are willful, haughty, puffed up, and behaving scornfully to all those about them, then the times are perilous. Sounds like today, doesn't it? All right, look at my next heading. This is Son of Perdition. And this is Jesus speaking. You know, when you highlight a word, it really makes you consider it from that perspective. And I just think it's interesting that they're calling a traitor someone who has a form of godliness. So we are talking about people who do know God and may even believe that Jesus died for their sins. Yes, yes, I, I'm agreeing. I'm shaking my head. Yeah, I'm yes. just saying, I don't think I'd ever really, you know, just focused on the fact that, that was, they were called traitors and they're probably Christians. Yeah, we're going to keep talking about this, too. I, I've been thinking about that a lot. Too, and I mean, we've talked about the Antichrist coming out of the church, so it's not that that's a new concept, but, I mean, this is... <clears throat> I just hadn't seen that before, is all I'm saying. I just hadn't Thank thought you. of it that way. Thank you. And we have that word that follows, you know, traitors is heady. And to characterize those in the same group is revealing also, isn't yeah. it? Heady yes. and high-minded. Uh-huh, exactly. So, those are both very good points. All right. Again, uh, we're at that son of perdition 
uh, section, and this is Jesus speaking, and it's uh, John 17, 12. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in my name. Those that thou gavest me, I have kept. And none of them is lost, but the son of perdition. And here you can see I, I gave you a definition, meaning ruin or loss, physical, spiritual, or eternal. That, the scripture might be fulfilled. Now, as terrible as traitor is, that title pales into insignificance compared to this one to be the son of perdition, which denotes that Judas is a man identified with eternal destruction, whose destiny is the lake of fire. All right, Acts uh, chapter 1, verse 25. That he may take part of this ministry and apostleship from which... Judas, by transgression, fell, that he might go to his own place. The thought here is the place of his own choosing. It is not that Judas was foreordained from eternity to go to hell without any opportunity to be saved. Instead, he chose to reject Jesus Christ and will suffer the consequences of any person who rejects the Savior. Jesus said in Matthew that Judas's own place would have been better for him that he had never been born. And that's Matthew 26, 24 that I was paraphrasing. And you know, that's a terrifying uh, thought. So All if, right. you, if, you, if you compare what you just did, say, to the disciples and to Jesus mainly, but, you know, he was a part of that group, and he became the traitor, the one that turned Jesus over, you know, for the crucifixion, basically. So looking at it that way, we're talking about Christians who would turn us in. In the end times, yes. Right. Oh, yes, uh-huh. Yes. And Judas was betraying all, all of the disciples. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, I, mean, I, had, I really hadn't thought of it that way. He was betraying them, but he was also fulfilling the will of the Father, which is always just so... Well, it's, something, gonna, it's like a... But <laughs> God knows from the end from the beginning, God knew he was going to betray him. Yeah. The Father knew that, but he did have the opportunity to, to, to walk the right way. Yes, yes. And, and that is God. a point that I'm trying to make. Yes, yes, yes. But the point I'm making is that those people are going to be among us, turning us over. But God knows all those things. Oh, I know. I'm just saying I haven't <laughs> made the correlation yeah. of Judas being among us. I've always just put Judas in his own category of doing the thing that he did. But when you're outlining what, you know, these different scriptures talking about the traitors being even among us, that... I mean, just another perspective, I and mean, we know the Antichrist comes out of the church and it's the same, it's the same thing, but the, the word traitor means to turn you over, you know, to give you up. And it's not necessarily going to be unbelievers 
that try to out us or to give us up or to you know to kill us. It's gonna it's gonna be traitors, traitors to the gospel. Yes, yes. Anyway, just just another perspective. No, all of this is good. All right, the next section is inclusion in the twelve. So the first one we have is Luke six thirteen through sixteen, and when it was day. He called unto him his disciples, and of them he chose twelve, whom also he named apostles. Simon, whom he also named Peter, and Andrew his brother, James and John, Philip and Bartholomew, Matthew and Thomas, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon called Zelotes, and Judas, the brother of James, and Judas Iscariot, which also was the traitor. Okay, now one more. Mark 3, 13 through 21. And then he goeth up into a mountain, and calleth unto him whom he would. And they came unto him, and he ordained twelve, that they should be with him, and that he might send them forth to preach, and to have power to heal sicknesses, and to cast out devils. And Simon he surnamed Peter, and James the son of Zebedee, and John the brother of James, which he surnamed them Boanerges, uh, which is the sons of thunder. And Andrew and Philip and Bartholomew and Matthew and Thomas and James the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus and Simon the Canaanite and Judas Iscariot, which also betrayed him and they went into an house. And the multitude cometh together again, so that they could not so much as eat bread. And when his friends heard of it, they went out to lay hold on him, for they said, He is beside himself. The house is probably in Capernaum, and possibly Peter's home. And we see that a large multitude has gathered together in the house so that they could not as much as eat bread. You know, it was an exploding ministry. Jesus and his disciples found frequently that it was a challenge to find time to eat. Jesus' relatives heard of this great ministry, and they came to lay hold of him. For they thought he was out of his mind, and an unbalanced religious fanatic, for sure. So what did Judas experience as soon as Jesus selected him? First, he was part of a unique circle of 12 apostles. Secondly, he observed great crowds flocking to Jesus. And thirdly, he saw Christ's own family thinking he was crazy. Judas was no fool and observed that Jesus had extraordinary charisma and attracted large crowds, which meant political power, influence, and wealth. Jews, Judas, you know, he wanted in on the action. 
you know, leaking to Jesus would be the fast track to success. All right, let's keep going. Uh, my next section is Judas's place among the 12. And this is Luke 9, verses 1 and 2. Then he called his 12 disciples together and gave them power and authority over all devils and to cure diseases. And he sent them to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. Judas made a commitment to Jesus. There's no reason to think he was anything but sincere in his faith. Like the rest of the disciples, he left everything to follow the Lord. Judas was actively involved in ministry. He was given remarkable spiritual gifts, just like the others. Luke tells us that Jesus called the twelve together, and that included Judas, and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases, then sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. All right, now here's my point. Active involvement in ministry is good, and it's a wonderful thing. It is not, in itself, a guarantee of spiritual life or spiritual health. We might have supposed that Matthew would handle the money needed to sustain the Lord's ministry because he had been a tax collector and he was well acquainted with money matters. Judas, however, was the treasurer of the group of apostles, which indicated he was not an ignorant person. He knew the ins and outs of collecting, managing, spending money better than the others, and that included Matthew. All right, here is the setting for the next passage. Um, it's in the village of Bethany. Um, it's about six days before the Lord's final Passover, and it's where Lazarus has been raised from the dead. And Martha serves supper with Lazarus at the table. Mary anoints Christ's feet with expensive oil and wipes them with her hair. The entire event was a wonderful display of love, gratitude, and worship. So let's read. This is John 12, 4 through 6. Then saith one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, which should betray him, why was not this ointment sold for 300 pence and given to the poor? This he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the bag and bare what was put therein. 
we see from this scripture, Judas was not in tune with Jesus. He had rejected the Lord's message. Because to the poor, Jesus preached the gospel. For the needy, Jesus taught that we should go out of our way to help others, so far as we are able. And the parable of the Good Samaritan is a wonderful example of this. The point here is that Judas did not welcome that message, nor did he want to help the needy. What is clear is that Judas was a self-serving thief who followed Jesus not because his inner man had converted to him, but because he hoped for a personal gain from the relationship. Okay, let's look at John 13, 29. <clears throat> for some of them thought, because Judas had the bag, that Jesus had said unto him, buy those things that we have need of against the feast, or that he should give something to the poor. Those at the table did not understand what Jesus meant. They did not suspect that Christ said it to Judas because it did not enter into their heads that Judas was such a person. Christ's disciples were so well taught to love one another that they could not easily learn to suspect They took it for granted that he said it to Judas as treasurer of the household. The time of a religious feast, which was happening at that time, was thought a proper time for works of charity as well. All right. The next section is Jesus foretells his betrayal. King David was the first to prophesy that someone would betray the Messiah. So if you look at Psalm 41.9, Yea, mine own familiar friend, in whom I trusted, which did eat of my bread, hath lifted up his heel against me. Stay with me. Uh, Jesus quoted this next verse of himself at the last Passover, John 13, 18. I speak not of you all, but I know that I have chosen, but that the scripture may be fulfilled. He that eateth bread with me hath lifted up his heel against me. All right, and then shortly after the transfiguration, while they were in Galilee, Christ prophesied, Matthew 17, 23 through 23. And while they abode in Galilee, Jesus said unto them, The Son of Man shall be betrayed into the hands of men, and they shall kill him, and the third day he shall be raised again. And they were exceeding sorry. And uh, one more. Um, on the way to Jerusalem, 
the Lord repeats his prophecy. This is Matthew 20, verses 18 and 19. Behold, we go up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man shall be betrayed unto the chief priest and unto the scribes. And they shall condemn him to death, and shall deliver him to the Gentiles to mock, and to scourge, and to crucify him. And the third day he shall arise again. Jesus frequently told his disciples that he would die by crucifixion and that this was the main reason for his coming. Judas began to notice that Jesus' references to the kingdom contradicted his own ideas of it. How could this be right? You know, in the Old Testament, Daniel had prophesied of the Messiah's coming and that his kingdom shall stand forever. Jesus, Judas thought, must be a false Messiah, for he is not going to live for long. All right. Judas betrays the Lord Jesus. Okay, I have a question for you. What finally motivated Judas to betray the Lord? No one really knows. But the setting when Jesus was anointed by Mary in Bethany, uh, it may have been the motivation for it. You know, Judas was stung uh, by the Lord's rebuke when he chastised Mary about the oil. Judas was already becoming increasingly disenchanted because Jesus' kingly prospects seemed to be dimming. You know, Judas probably decided it was time to, you know, cut his losses. Let's look at Matthew 26, 14 through 16. Then one of the twelve, called Judas Iscariot, went unto the chief priests and said unto them, What will ye give me, and I will deliver him unto you? And they coveted with him for thirty pieces of silver. And from that time he sought opportunity to betray him. Let's talk about the role of the devil. That's our next section. Uh, John uh, 66 through 71. From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. Then said Jesus unto the twelve, Will ye also go away? Then Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. And we believe and are sure that thou art that Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered them, Have not I chosen you twelve, and one of you is a devil? 
he spoke of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, for he it was that should betray him, being one of the twelve. Now notice, Jesus said nothing about those who went back. It was no great loss of those whom he never had. Jesus' question was to the twelve. Will you also go away? It is your choice whether you will leave or not. You know, Christ will not detain anyone against their will. His followers are volunteers, not people who have been pressed upon. The disciples had resolved to continue their pursuit of life and happiness and to follow Christ as their God. The 12 disciples had fastened upon those words in bold, the words of eternal life, which is the same as having power to give eternal life. The other followers had overlooked this and fastened on the hard sayings and deserted him. I think that's important to remember. God knows those that are his. We do not. Hypocrites and betrayers of Christ are no better than devils. Judas, into whose heart Satan entered and filled, is called a devil. The disguises of hypocrites may deceive men, but they cannot <coughs> deceive Christ. There are those who are chosen by Christ for special tasks who will prove false to him. The twelve were chosen for an intimate conversation with an incarnate deity, our Savior, Jesus. Having a bodily form and nature. Yet, Judas, one of the disciples, embodied the devil. All right. Luke 22, 1 through 6. Now the feast of unleavened bread drew nigh, which is called the Passover. And the chief priest and scribes sought how they might kill him, for they feared the people. Then entered Satan into Judas, surnamed Iscariot, being of the number of the twelve. And he went his way and communed with the chief priest and captains, how he might portray him unto them. And they were glad and coveted to give him money. And he promised and sought opportunity to portray him, betray him, unto them in the absence of the multitude. You know, Jesus' uh, sworn enemies are the chief priests and the scribes. 
It was the devil's work. Whoever betrays Christ or his truce, it is Satan's doing. All right. The night Judas betrayed the Lord. This is John 13, 5 through 18. And after that he, uh, speaking of Jesus, poureth water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel wherewith he was girded. Then cometh he to Simon Peter, and Peter saith unto him, Lord, dost thou wash my feet? Jesus answered and said unto him, What I do thou knowest not now, but thou shalt know hereafter. Peter saith unto him, Thou shalt never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I wash thee not, thou hast no part with me. Simon Peter saith unto him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus saith unto him, He that is washed needeth not to save to wash his feet, but is clean every whit. And ye are clean, but not all. For he knew who should betray him. Therefore he said he, Ye are not all clean, the thoros, which means cleansed and pure. You know, as the Last Supper continues, you know, Jesus proceeds to train his apostles, uh, giving them a huge lesson in humility, servanthood, forgiveness, which he illustrates by washing their feet. And then we're going on. This is the rest of this passage. So after he had washed their feet and taken his garments and was set down again, he said unto them, Know ye what I have done to you. Ye call me Master and Lord, and ye say, Well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, ye also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that, they, that ye should do as I have done to you. Verily, verily, I say unto you, the servant is not greater than the Lord, his Lord, neither he that is sent greater than he that sent him. If ye know these things, happy are ye if ye do them. I speak not of you all. I know whom I have chosen, but that the scripture may be fulfilled. He that eateth bread with me hath lifted up his heel against me. You know, Christ knew from the beginning Judas's plot to betray him. Now he reveals it to his disciples. There is a mixture of bad with good in his group of apostles. Jesus took one into his family whom he foresaw to be a traitor that the scripture might be fulfilled. Judas, as an apostle, was admitted to the highest privilege. He did eat bread with Christ. He was favored by him. He was also one of those with whom he was intimately conversant with. Wherever Jesus went, Judas was welcome with him. 
sat at table with his master. He ate miraculous bread with him when the loaves were multiplied and ate the Passover with him. I think the point here is that all that eat bread with Christ, we mentioned this early on when we first started talking about Judas, they're not all his disciples. You know, it was true then and it is true today. Judas was guilty of the basest treachery. He lifted up his heel against Christ. He forsook him. He despised him. He became an enemy to him. All right, now let's go into the Garden of Gethsemane. Judas figured that the Garden of Gethsemane would be an ideal place to arrest Jesus because it was outside the city's eastern gates uh, and wall. And it was away from crowds. Satan, who we know anticipated every one of the Lord's movements, had probably put this plan into Judas's head. The traitor, Judas, notified the religious leaders that he would identify Jesus to them with a kiss. Now, I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but why a kiss? Because it would be at night, and it wouldn't be immediately apparent to the soldiers who Christ was among the disciples. The religious leaders called together the Roman soldiers, which was about 600 men, and they tagged along with them and Judas to the place in the garden where Jesus prayed. So it was about 8 or 9 o'clock in the evening when this occurred. So let's look at John uh, chapter 18, verses 3 through 5. Judas then having received a band of men and officers from the chief priests and Pharisees, cometh thither with lanterns and torches and weapons. Jesus, therefore, knowing all things that should come upon him, went forth and said unto them, Whom seek ye? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus saith unto them, I am he. And Judas also, which betrayed him, stood with them. Judas used to stand with those that followed Christ. Now he stands with those that fought against him. This is probably mentioned to show how brazen and bold-faced Judas was. You know, one would wonder where he got the confidence with which he now faced his master. Amazing. Um, I'm going to shift here a little bit. I have time to do this. Uh, this next passage, I know it's on your handout, is kind of a 
side note comment, and I thought I would just go ahead and insert it. Um, speaking of Judas, of course, this treacherous act that he did actually became embedded in the minds of the apostles so much so that Paul, so this is later, when explaining the communion service, says, and look at 1 Corinthians 11.23, For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. Just because I've heard it so much, I didn't really think about it. I didn't like break it down. But uh, what Judas did really had a tremendous impact on the others going forward. All right, let's talk about the day of Christ's crucifixion. Uh, this is Matthew 27, verses 3 through 5. Then a Judas, which had betrayed him, then he saw that he was condemned, repented himself, and brought again the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders, saying, I have sinned in that I have betrayed the innocent blood. And they said, What is that to us? See thou to that. And he cast down the pieces of silver in the temple and departed and went and hanged himself. So, seeing that Jesus Christ was condemned to death, Judas was remorseful and admitted he betrayed innocent blood. You know, with all the prophecies being fulfilled right before his eyes. Judas saw how he had misunderstood all along. It was too late. You know, when you think about when you think about this whole story, we know God's plan is perfect, and we know that the Lord had to be crucified so that we could step into the relationship with the Father and fulfill His eternal plan here upon the earth. And so, you think about betrayal. And like what was said, you know, we will be betrayed. I mean, this is a this is something I think that's common that we're going to see in the end times. But in the midst of God's perfect plan, you see how that betrayal, God turns all things for good. But that betrayal turned into the fulfillment for us to actually be at the right hand and to be in the presence of the Father and have that relationship, right? And so God does turn all things good for good. So you think about in for us, as we face the future, knowing that this principle, we will experience this principle, you know, it kind of sucks for the God that betrays you. <laughs> but for us, we know God is going to turn it to good. Right? And so there should be no fear or anything of that nature, knowing that God will use all those things for the purpose of his great plan. And it just it just takes such a weight off to me. But I think about, you know, you just said it, it was too late for Judas. He had the conviction, right, in his heart after he had done it. 
and that's the sad part. But was it? Too, it, it was too late for Christ, for Jesus, but it made a way for God's plan to be fulfilled. So it's just the the whole story is just so intricately woven with the goodness of God, and it required the betrayal. So it, it, I don't know. I really don't have a point to what I'm saying. No, <laughs> it, it's good. It's yeah. good. Uh, we need to think about this. Yeah. We really do. We need to really think about this. Um, but I appreciate your comment. I do. Um, this, this follows this scripture. Um, it was too late. Um, all the remorse in the world could not undo the damage he caused. You know, he had condemned the savior of the world, the king of kings, to a cruel, shameful, painful death by crucifixion. I'm going to say something here. I'm kind of hesitating. Just think about this. What terrible destruction, we, and I'm not talking about us, but what terrible destruction we can cause when we proudly act on our own private interpretations of scripture. You know, Judas threw the 30 pieces of silver, which is about $220. Uh, the leaders paid him. He threw it into the temple. The religious leaders did not take back the blood money. We know that from scripture. But instead purchased a field from a local pottery maker um, in which to bury strangers. It was renamed the field of blood, which fulfilled an Old Testament prophecy. So look at Zechariah. It's on your handout, 1113. And the Lord said unto me, cast it unto the potter, a goodly price that I was prized at of them. And I took the 30 pieces of silver and cast them to the potter in the house of the Lord. Okay, now this is our last section. And this is about Judas's suicide. Matthew 27, 5. And he, Judas, cast down the pieces of silver in the temple and departed and went and hanged himself. Okay, to follow up with what Monica was saying, if Judas had gone to Christ or to some of the disciples, perhaps, I don't know, he might have been able to get some kind of relief as bad as this situation was. Secondly, he became his own executioner. He hanged himself. So he had that, he had that sense of sin, but no understanding of the mercy of God in Christ. His sin, he concluded, as Cain, was greater than could be forgiven. So let's look at Acts chapter 1, verses 15 through 18. 
And in those days, Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples and said, the number of names together were about 120. Men and brethren, this scripture must needs have been fulfilled, which the Holy Ghost by the mouth of David spake before concerning Judas, which was a guide or teacher to them that took or arrested or captured Jesus, for he was numbered with us and had obtained part of this ministry. Now this man purchased a field with the reward of iniquity and falling headlong to fall forward, he burst asunder or cracked open, we're speaking of Judas, in the midst and all his bowels gushed out. Now look at this last verse. And it was known unto all the dwellers at Jerusalem. I have always missed that part right there. Now, I had to look this up, but the term for what I have just described in uh, verse 18, the term is called bowelling, B-O-W-E-L-L-I-N-G, bowelling. Uh, it's a splitting open of the stomach and intestines. Um, it's part of the punishment of traitors at that time. And it was public notice that this had really taken place because verse 19 states, and it was known unto all the dwellers in Jerusalem that this event had occurred. Now, we know there was an earthquake in Jerusalem when Jesus yielded up his spirit. Um, possibly uh, the tree lamb where Judas hung himself could have been broken off the tree by the earthquake and then plunged his swollen three-day-old corpse to split open. Uh, if it had been hung over like a, a steep cliff or a canyon. And here's the thing. The Valley of Hinnom surrounds the city of Jerusalem. So it's a possibility. You don't know. But it's tragic. And that was the end of Judas. So I want to close with this scripture. It's Jeremiah 17, 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? The human heart is beyond understanding. We cannot know our own hearts or what it will do in an hour of temptation. Much less can we know the hearts of others, what they're thinking. Whatever wickedness there is in the heart, God sees it. Judas's story contains an important lesson for parents, leaders, friends, who grieve over someone they love who has abandoned the faith. They worry and question themselves. Now, I have done this. You ready? Here's my questions. Where did we go wrong? What could we have done? 
Did we fail in our teaching? Did we fail in our example? Should we have immersed our son or daughter or friend in a different environment? You know, we have all asked these questions. Every single one of us. You know, with Judas's eyes, he saw the clearest evidence. With his ears, he heard the finest teaching. With his feet, he followed the greatest example. And yet, this man still betrayed Jesus. Judas teaches us that even the best example, the most compelling evidence, and the finest teaching, the ultimate environment for incubating faith, cannot in and of themselves change the human heart. Judas reminds us that nothing good can come from giving up on Jesus Christ. He is of supreme value, and following him is worth any cost. And that concludes my teaching for today. Any additional comments? I think it's interesting that when you talk about his battles gushing out, and when we understand the principle of the ma'af, really that inner place of really connection that we have with the Lord that that would be the place that just gushed out upon the ground and and I think it's interesting that he hung himself and this I mean this is taken away off but you know Jesus was hung on a cross he couldn't crucify himself but he hung himself and doesn't that like break your neck and you know the whole principle of being stiff necked or just Oh, yeah, I think it all ties in it, there, Monica. Every, every, every little thing. I think it all ties in there. It's I, very I, intricate, this I, whole thing. You know, I just go back to the thief that was on the cross next to Jesus. And in that moment, he was saved. In that moment, you know, Jesus said, you will go with me and live with me in eternity. That just, it just blows me away, the mercy and the grace of God and I, I feel sorry for Judas I really do I mean yeah there, there's plenty of evidence that Judas did have a changed life at one time when he began following Christ as a zealot it was his goal to assassinate traitors mm -hmm. According to Jewish society, Matthew, the tax collector for the Roman Empire, was a traitor. Without Jesus in their midst, Matthew would not have survived the first night. And you're so probably right. He did have, a, there was evidence of a changed life there. And, and then slowly he changed again, you know which tells a lot tells us a lot about one saved always saved that but yeah. but all but the thing is it can happen to us too and that's you know Stacy said a little while ago that 
going to happen today Christians can turn us in. Well, we've all got that ability uh, to go wrong. And when you think about Judas, he fit the profile perfectly of a man who changed his life to follow Christ. And there were many who would relate to him because there were many zealots. He wasn't the only zealot, you know. Simon was the zealot also, and mm -hmm. he turned out just fine, but as far as we know. So, um, when you look at all the other disciples, they're a perfect example of changed lives, and they fit the profile. And when we really understand that, we have to realize then that you and I also fit the profile. We do have a changed life. The thing is, it can change again. And, and uh, but we do fit the profile. Yes. And either, it's, and, and we can either be influencing someone like us in our profile, or we can be one who relates to someone else who has our profile and bring them to Christ that way through our example. Um, but it's up to us. And as you said, Christ doesn't make us do a thing. He compels us by his Holy Spirit and he leads us and he motivates us more by way of the Holy Spirit than Judas was ever able to take advantage of. Prior to the Holy Spirit being dispensed or uh, assigned to the world activity, so uh, he, he's an example to all of us in so many ways. Thank you. Anybody else? Well, I'm not going to delay this, but I'll. I really feel like we've got to be cautious of, you know, we do works, we do a lot of works, but uh, where is that heart of ours? You know, is it really, you know, given wholly to God or are we caught up in our works? I think that's very important to remember that. I think that was another thing I wanted to try to drive home with you. Um, I, I thought it was interesting a couple weeks back when Pastor Fabian was talking about Judas. And I listened very intently because I had already been looking at passages about Judas. And I thought, well, I don't want to follow him. But I felt like he kind of laid the foundation for me so that it was easy for me to step into this today. Because he gave you a lot of background that I kind of just skipped over. But uh, we're not Judas. We're not Judas. But here's the thing. I, I say to myself, Tammy, you love the Lord with all your heart. And always remember that's foremost. And don't get hung up on any kind of works or uh, being persuaded by other people with, you know, what they think is the best idea yet, you know, about this scripture. You know, we've got to be cautious of these private interpretations of scripture. And uh, we have to stay well grounded in the word and, uh, and protect that heart of ours and give it wholly to the Lord. And every day ask for a fresh sprinkling of the blood over it. All right, I'm going to close. And thank you for your attention. God bless all of you. And next week is Dennis.